G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Vision 180. Live different. Different. It is your Saturday evening with Alex and John Mackay from Creation Research is back on tonight's show. How are you tonight, John? I'm not too bad for a living dinosaur. <laughs> you know, who writes books on dinosaurs and digs them up too. Nice. We were just checking out your kids' books. They mm-hmm. are so cool. They're interactive. Yeah, You've got a bit great, of um, great. VR and, yeah, mm-hmm. it looks very great cool. Great to use leading technology on a book that's been here from the beginning. Mm, it's very cool. So check that out. It's creationresearch.net. Mm-hmm. That's where you'll find all these questions from tonight's show. There's a Q&A part there. Mm-hmm. But these ones have come through our Facebook page that people they would have, like to ask they? you from the Bible, mm-hmm. g- Genesis, creation, all that kind of stuff. So we'll go through those. But first, what have you been up to recently, John? Well, I'm... Um, just about to pack my bags and go back up to Jurassic Ark. That's our outdoor museum. It's in the dinosaur book too through the Vision Store. So uh, we take people and we we uh, give them a guided tour through Adam to Australia, really in the evidence here in the rocks. So that's one of the things I'm doing. We've been in schools. We've been in churches. Uh, it's been really great. Uh, last weekend I was in a church that used to be a skating rink. Then it was converted to a theatre. Now it's a church converting people for Christ. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. as always, if you have any questions, go to creationresearch.net, click on Q&A. This one came through from Jason. He said, how did ancient marine predators die out like Megalodon, Chronosaurus? So all the ancient marine dinosaurs, how did they die out? He good, said, especially... Good, good job, Jason, for using those big words. So let's translate yeah. some of those first. Because scientists, you know, way back in the 1600s, the academic language was not English. It was usually Mm -hmm. French or Italian or Latin, right? Yeah. So the scientists picked on Latin because it's a dead language. And if you come up with a name in Latin, it's not going to get messed around like it does uh, in, in modern language usage. So words that came from England... Come on, let's be honest. Many of the English don't even think we speak English out here because we've messed up the language so much. True. But Latin, we use words like mega or megla, meaning big, and don't, you go to the orthodontist, that so means big tooth. But the full name, because I've got a lot of these big teeth, uh, carcaridon megalodon. Carcaridon refers to the white shark with big teeth. Now oh, these yeah, teeth, terrifying. Uh, uh, yeah, like they, that they movie are. Meg. Yeah, that's exactly the new right. right? So oh, you'll scary. find these big teeth. <laughs> tell us one thing: a, we know it's a white shark because white sharks are still here and they have the same teeth, but they're only about a fifth of the size to what they used to be. Mm. So the megalodont used to be about twenty meters long. You go surfboarding with a twenty meter shark at each you <laughs> and a surfboard. Hey, praise the Lord, the the white sharks, yeah, that's right, are only four to five metres long today. But in the beginning, they weren't even carnivores. They wouldn't have threatened Adam in the Garden of Eden on his paddleboard or anything like that. So A, it just means the big white shark and they're still here, no help to evolution. Okay, so they're they're still here. 
The they didn't die out because yep, of the that's food. Right. But right, Chronosaurus okay. does seem to be extinct. Maybe Chronosaurus is out there waiting for you uh, to <laughs> fall off your paddleboard. Yeah. <laughs> we won't know until we see one. It seems to be extinct. The Elasmosaurs and the Plesiosaurs, the Loch Ness-type monsters, also seem to be extinct. But how would they become extinct? In the sea. I think you have to realise that after Noah's flood, I mean, a flood is not a good way to kill off whales or sharks or anything, right? They're not worried by by increasing the water level. What they are worried by is particularly the post-flood environment where all of us who think the ocean's always been the same, bad story. Mm -hmm. Even our stories of pollution today tell us the ocean is not the same as it was 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. We're messing it up. Okay, you go to Noah's flood, you have mega amounts of fresh water injected into the ocean. You have mega amounts of soil after the flood injected into the ocean, Mm. particularly when you get droughts. After Noah's flood, summer comes, you get a 10-year drought like we have in Australia, and when the rain starts again, huge quantities of dirt and muck wash into the coral reef. In fact, here in Australia, mm. right here, not far from this this studio, when we had the flood in Brisbane in the 1890s, we lost the coral reefs in Moreton Bay mm. right? and probably lost a few other creatures that we hadn't even counted. So pollution of the oceans, whether it's natural or, or man-made, actually is a destroying feature, and I have a suspicion that's one of the biggest factors, including temperature drop. Mm. that would have messed up the reptiles in the ocean that we are so familiar with from the fossil record. Mm. And you can add hunting probably, and perhaps it's us who added the last little bit, pushed them off the edge. They were shallow marine-type creatures, and we bumped them off, the environment bumped them off, etc., etc. So I hope that's been Mm. useful, but it's in our new dinosaur book too. But you brought up the Loch Ness Monster. Mm -hmm. So people believe that it's one of those massively Mm -hmm. long swimming... It's my favourite little swimming dinosaur. Not little, because they're like really long necks. And Anyway, so do you believe that the Loch Ness Monster is actually a dinosaur that kind of got stuck Mm -hmm. in a pond? Well, having a dad who was a <laughs> Scotsman, right, and he comes to Australia. And uh, anyway, I'm very familiar with Loch Ness. I've walked along its edges. I've looked for rocks and fossils oh, wow. and all of those things and looked up the traditions of the Loch Ness Monster. Mm. Personally, I haven't met it, right? Uh, personally, I'm not sure we've got any modern evidence that it's still here. There's a few suspicious-looking ones that could and they're, they're suggestive. Yeah. But the history is beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Christian missionaries who arrived in Scotland, you know, 1,400 years ago, Mm -hmm. they actually migrated along the edges of the lake as they're seeking to spread the gospel to us, a pagan tribe who ate their children, who killed their enemies and ate them as well, right, Mm. who sacrificed little kids on on Halloween, um, were actually impressed by one thing. As the missionary gets to the end of Loch Ness, there's one of the pagans, the old Celts, uh, in the water, in trouble with the with a monster, mm. and the missionary immediately took authority in the name of Jesus. And the tradition goes that the monster ran away, fled, and the locals were so impressed. Mass conversion is the result, and you see, God worked in power to this pagan people to demonstrate the name of Jesus was really a, a, a power source, right? And and that's the first tradition of the Loch Ness monster, I and not no the idea. slightest reason to actually doubt that that's what really happened because the conversion of the peoples was pretty dramatic Mm. and pretty, pretty quick. 
So there was something at the trigger of it, and that's the tradition that's there. Uh, since then, what my, my, most fascinates me is the description from then to now is of a long-necked monster with fairly small head, big body, and flippers. Mm. Right? Looks just like the plesiosaurs we dig up. That's right. right. So that's, that, that's what it looks like, or the elasmosaurs, right? Yeah. And so yeah. the suspicion is that that's what it probably was trapped in there when the, the, the sea level changed because the lock goes all the way through, but it definitely was a flow way through in terms of the sea mm. and probably in the ice and things like that, it suffered badly. But the lake is about 200 metres deep, Nelly. Perhaps mm. it is still down there looking for the Scotsman <laughs> to eat. Um, so, yes. Wow, there you go. Awesome. John Mackay from Creation Research is back on tonight's show. We're doing a bit of a Q&A tonight. And this one has come through from Facebook from Hanno. They said, was the flood just a local flood, John, or a worldwide flood? What are your thoughts on that one? Okay. Um, the sort of con- common concept out there amongst sceptics Mm. is if the flood happened, it was just a local event and the natives were so impressed they wrote it down and it turned into the story of Noah, mm. right? And so that's uh, you find these flood stories all over the planet because we all have floods, right? Yeah. And uh, so therefore it's a, a legend which has turned into religion. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at the biblical picture, it would deny that as being the history for one simple reason. It talks about God the Creator actually talking to Noah. Mm. It doesn't say, and Noah imagined that some sort of spirit spoke to him and said, build a big boat, Noah. And and then a hundred years went past and for no reason it started to rain, right? There's a moral to the story. Man has sinned. Noah is the only righteous one. And the righteous God selects Noah to actually survive the flood along with his family, gives him the exact instructions for Noah, who's never built a boat in his life, right, Mm. to survive the flood. And then you read the description. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and the water covered all the highest hills under the whole heaven. Now, it's not the hills that matter. It's not the story of the 40 days and 40 nights. It's the fact that it says all the highest hills under the whole heaven were Mm. covered. Not just the little bit around Babylon, not the creek that was backing up behind Jerusalem or anything like that. It was not just the Middle East. It Mm. was everywhere. It was all over the whole place. And uh, as I love to tell people, that's the reason Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life, actually said, just like it was in Noah's day, Mm. uh, I'm coming back and the world will be judged. It was judged by water in Noah's day. It'll be judged by fire. Oh, you're going to burn up Jerusalem. You're going to knock down Babylon and burn up all those things. No, no, I'm going to do the whole planet, right, and make a new heavens and a new earth. So even your New Testament. Is it hot in here or is it just me? No, that's called the final global warming, right? So what you'll find is that that, that, is, that is Jesus' take on it. It's a global perspective. He should know he was the creator. He was the one who was the word of God who actually spoke to Noah. Awesome. Thank you for being part of tonight's show again. John, we'll see you next time. Good on you. God bless. As always, if you have any questions, go to creationresearch.net and click on Q&A. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.